You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Everyone, everywhere, flourishing in Christ. That right there, in brief, expresses the vision of our mission together as grace. And if you actually turn over the back of your bulletin on the very back, you'll see those words there and a little bit of development of that that mission and vision. And we've been spending these last few weeks of the fall unpacking that for you. Flourishing, this key word for us. Flourishing happens by the grace of God as we are rooted in Christ, as we are rooted in in the forgiveness and reconciliation of our broken and flawed and fractured lives, as we are rooted in Christ's victory over death that we all face due to the consequence of our brokenness, and as we are rooted in his promise of transforming us and giving us the everlasting life of us becoming all that we were created to be. This is what we mean by flourishing. And it's a we. We flourish together. We flourish in Christ only as much as our neighbor does. And we've been unpacking this. And again, you have on the back of your bulletin some of what we've looked at. And in particular, for the last two weeks, what we've been doing is unpacking the four guiding principles that are keys to our flourishing in Christ together. And you can see them there. What we're going to do now is turn to something that's not on the back of your bulletin. Out of this missional narrative, out of this vision for our future, the elders and staff of Grace came together and said, what would we define? What do we think are the three Uh, specific objectives, sort of the identifying marks for us of being the kind of community that we envision, being on the kind of mission that we believe God's calling us to. And so what we're going to do to close out this sermon series is for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at each one of those uh, identifying marks, those objectives that we have. And today we're going to talk about the first of them. And the first identifying mark is we want to be, in living out this vision and mission, a community of people who are followers of Jesus. We want to be followers of Jesus. Now, at first, when I say that, being a follower of Jesus, that might seem like a fairly obvious goal, you know, like not just for grace, but for any Christian. But the truth is, as I'm going to develop for you this morning, many believe in Jesus, but not everyone follows Christ. And you might ask, well, what's the difference between believing and following Jesus. And by way of answering this question, I want us to consider the example of Paul as he shares a bit of his life with us through this part of his letter to the Philippian church. And so if you have your Bibles open, I'm going to be reading from Philippians 3, starting in verse 4. We're going to be coming into the middle of a conversation. I think you'll get the gist of it, but I'm going to unpack it once we're done. So Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 4, let's hear this together. Paul writes, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh... I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. 
I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from, come, comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're coming in the middle of a conversation that Paul's having to the Philippians, and that can be a little complicated. So let me unpack this a little bit for us. Paul is addressing people who believe in Jesus but aren't necessarily following Christ. When Paul speaks right where we started of those who have confidence in the flesh, it's kind of a strange phrase. When he talks about those who have confidence in the flesh, there's a lot really here to, there's a lot here to talk about, but basically he's referring to Christians who have professed faith in Christ for their salvation, but functionally are following the Mosaic law rather than Jesus. They're following the law that God passed down through Moses. Now, hearing this, you might say at first glance, well, that sounds pretty good. What's wrong with that? That seems pretty harmless. I mean, isn't that the point of why God gave the law? But Paul, you notice, declares, wait a second, to believe in Jesus without following Christ is to stand before God based upon what we have done rather than what God has done for us in Christ. It's to put one's faith, in other words, in one's own credentials and achievements over and above not only what Jesus has done for us, but catch this, what Jesus continues to do in us through our relationship with him. And so Paul's like, if people want to compare resumes, if that's kind of how we want to look at this, if people want to compare resumes, then he's more than willing to offer his And he begins by detailing his impressive pedigree. In many cultures of the ancient Mediterranean world, one's social status was partly determined by the reputation of one's lineage, where you came from. And Paul comes from a family of distinction. He hails from the ancestral tribe of Benjamin. He was raised according to proper custom, circumcised on the eighth day, and so forth. The point is, Paul is a true blue Israelite. He is a Hebrew of Hebrews. Not some Gentile convert to Judaism, not some partly, you know, kind of partly in. He is fully Israelite. And his qualifications, in fact, go even beyond his family line. Paul, as he goes on to share, has made his mark in Jewish society. He presents himself as to the law of Pharisee, and we're all familiar with the Pharisees. Pharisees were known for their affection to the Mosaic law, and in fact, their strict observance of that law. Paul's basically saying, hey, look, if anyone knows how to follow the law, it's me. In fact, he reminds us he was so good at it that he was deemed worthy to judge others for not doing it, for not following the law. As he reminds us, he was, one of, he was the one who had formerly persecuted Christians because they weren't following the law presented by God through Moses. Instead, they were following this guy named Jesus. 
Paul, in this moment, he details his impressive resume. I think you get this, but he's, doing, he's laying this all out, not to boast about himself, but to lay the foundation so that he can share how significant, how profound, how powerful his ongoing transformation has been thanks to Jesus. I mean, what I want you to get is Paul formally viewed himself as flourishing, to use our language. Paul originally, previously saw himself as flourishing, right? I mean, he had it all. He checked all his life, checked all the boxes. He followed the rules. I mean, he had the kind of life that people would give their eye teeth for, like would labor all to come from that kind of family stock, to reach that level of prominence, those kind of achievements, that kind of reputation. This is what other people would be like, oh man, that's the brass ring if I could just get that. But notice in Paul sharing all that from his vantage point, he, was, he thought he was basically a good person, right? He thought he was basically a good person. He was living rightly by following the law, and therefore he was right with God. And then, and he doesn't share it here, but if you know Paul's story, it's implied, then Paul encountered Christ. Paul encountered Christ, and in that moment he confronted the fullness of his brokenness, his incapacity to completely and perfectly follow the law, that it's not about the rules, because the rules are not meant for us to, to, for us to think that we can achieve them. They're meant to drive us to our need for God. And so Paul, in this encounter with Christ, all of a sudden the, the floor dropped out from under him, in the kind of the system that he had kind of lived in, what he had set up, and in this awareness of his profound need, he also became aware of his true lack of flourishing. This is a guy who thought he had it all. He thought he had the brass ring, and then all of a sudden he realizes, no, he isn't learning. He isn't growing. He's not maturing per God's design. He's not learning. He's not growing. He's not maturing per God's intent for all of us. And in that decisive moment, Paul became a changed man. That encounter, and that's the part we do read here as he shares with us, was so transformative with Paul when he met Jesus that he now regards all of his gain apart from that moment, knowing Jesus whether by his lineage, where the family he came from, or through all his achievements, he considers it to be worthless. He says it's a loss. In fact, he calls it absolute rubbish. And if you're familiar at all with the word that's used here, it's a little bit harsher than that. He pretty much says it's crap. It's dung. Literally. And what I really want you to catch here, this is relevant to where we are this morning, is notice for Paul, the way he talks about this, this isn't some one and done thing. What I'm saying is after the Damascus Road, Paul could have said he believed in Jesus. He had accepted Jesus into his heart and then moved on with his life, lived on his terms. But no, as Paul outlines here, he proceeded to follow Jesus. He actively, regularly pursues knowing Christ. As he puts it so eloquently, he wants to know the power of his resurrection. He wants to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain his resurrection from the dead. Paul's whole life became reoriented, reprioritized, centered on not just accepting Jesus, but continuing by the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, to follow Jesus to flourish in Christ, to learn, to grow, to mature in Christ into who he was created to be. And Paul declares, this kind of gain, this kind of flourishing can only be found in Christ, can only come through faith in Christ, in relationship with Jesus, not by just believing in Jesus, 
but by following Christ. Biblically, the word the words believe and follow are actually synonymous. Biblically, the two words believe and follow pretty much mean the same thing. Despite this, there has become an artificial distinction made between the two within the life of the church. It didn't happen overnight. It's taken some time. But while the Bible treats believe and follow as basically meaning the same thing, within the community of faith over the years, we've created some, an artificial distinction between the two. For many, the word believe is applied in terms of a mental or emotional acknowledgement. It's this idea of agreement and acceptance of Jesus Christ and what he did. We actually talk this way, right? We'll say, one only needs to believe in Jesus, to give their heart to Christ to be a Christian. If one accepts Christ, it is often said one belongs to Jesus. But notice in all that language and how we talk, what is missing here? Notice what is missing here. Any idea or recognition that belief in or acceptance of, whichever way you want to call how you want to call it, any idea or any notion, belief in or acceptance of Jesus must lead to following Jesus. And that is why there are many who will say, I believe in Jesus Christ, but not everyone follows Jesus Christ. And that's why for us as a community, we want one of our identifying marks together, because we believe it's, it's so key to this vision and mission that God's giving us, is that we would be followers of Jesus. In other words, a person for us who is flourishing in Christ embraces Jesus as a person, not a concept. As a person. Jesus, in other words, is more than a creed, a more than a statement to believe in. Jesus is more than a philosophy or a religion, a system of thought or practices. Jesus is more than a self-help pop psychology course. Jesus is more than the power of positive thinking. Jesus is a person. Jesus is our savior, the one who forgives us, who rescues us, who loves us, even when we treat him like an enemy. Jesus is our Lord, who instructs us, the one who guides us, who corrects us, who reigns as the way, truth, and the life over all creation, even when we choose to act like there are other ways, different truths, some kind of sustainable life we can have apart from him. We embrace Jesus as a person, not a concept, because the incarnation, we're just a couple of weeks away from getting into Advent, Christmas, the incarnation is this incredible thing that we celebrate at Christmas time. God coming down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The incarnation reveals the deeper and more intimate relationship our creator wants to have with us. Our creator doesn't just want us to believe in him objectively, acknowledging his existence. There is a God. God didn't come down in Christ to execute a transaction. Believe in me, and I'll forgive you all your sins, and I'll rescue you from death when you die. No, God comes down to us in Jesus Christ to reconcile, to restore, to resurrect a broken relationship. Jesus alone enables us to become our fullest and best selves beyond our limitations, beyond death. And that's why if we look and listen carefully to the teachings and examples of Christ, Jesus doesn't just invite us to believe in him. Jesus repeatedly calls us to follow him, 
to know him, to learn from him, to enjoy him, to rest in him. And this call to follow by Jesus is distinctive, right? To follow, it's distinctive. Because Jesus doesn't just tell us to figure things out. You know, remember what I said and what I did and go on and do likewise on your own. Jesus doesn't say that. The call to follow is distinctive. He tells us to follow his lead. And when Jesus calls us to follow his lead, don't miss this either. He isn't just calling us to walk as he walked, following his past teaching and example. No, Jesus invites us to enter into the fullness of his life. His full, abundant, and everlasting life. Jesus is inviting us into his ongoing presence and guidance so that eventually we will become like him, as Paul writes. Not only in our life, but in our death and in our resurrection. Another way of putting this, and this is going to sound fairly obvious again, but bear with me. Jesus lives. Jesus lives. Jesus is alive and well today. Now, I'm preaching to the choir saying that to all of you here today. I mean, I don't know anybody who would go, well, I've never heard that before. I know you've heard it. I'll venture to guess that you believe it, but are you living as though Jesus lives? Are you living as though Jesus were alive and well today? Because he is. Because I'm going to push back. Many of us live as though Jesus is merely someone in whom we believe from a long time ago, in a century far, far away. But our faith, our practice, our ethos is that Jesus is a person. Jesus is a relationship. And if Jesus lives, if that's true, if Jesus is alive and well today, then that's a relationship we can engage continually in our everyday life. Jesus is someone, in other words, he's the one above all others who we should be following. If Jesus lives, if he's alive and well today and we believe all the things we believe about Jesus and yet Jesus is with us, who else would we follow? At that time, you remember that classic moment when some disciples left, when they couldn't follow Jesus. They, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, are you gonna go too? And Peter says wasn't, something that wasn't just true then, but was true now. He goes, Lord, to whom else shall we go? Who else will we follow? Who alone has the words of eternal life? Jesus is a person. And Jesus knows we can't flourish on our own. Jesus knows we can't even follow him without a power beyond ourselves. And we've talked about this, but I want to hit this again. That's why Christ not only calls us to follow him, but he also promises and sends the Holy Spirit to empower us, to direct us to do so. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about following Jesus. Let's talk about what some benchmarks would be uh, to, of that kind of relationship of following Christ. And one of the first things I want to present to you is a follower of Jesus. If you're following Jesus, a follower of Jesus has a conversational relationship with Jesus and not just about Jesus. I would venture to say that most of us, if we call ourselves Christians, are really good talking about Jesus. We can talk about Jesus in, our, in a small conversation, in a large conversation, we have no problem talking about Jesus. But if Jesus is real, if he is alive and well today, then following him means regularly talking to him. Talking to him about all our intentions and plans, about our, all our worries and fears, about all our hopes and dreams. We talk to Jesus because we recognize his presence, that he is living and present in all areas of our life. Our family, our friends, our business, our home, our hobbies, our free time. 
And again, Jesus wants that kind of relationship with us. He doesn't just want us to talk about him. He wants us to talk to him. Let me put it to you this way. Talking about Jesus, if that's where it stops for us, talking about Jesus is like talking as if Jesus was not present. Imagine talking about someone who was right there in the room. You know, imagine I start talking about Pastor John. Well, Pastor John this and Pastor John that. Well, Pastor John says this and Pastor John always does that. It would be awkward, right? You'd all be sensitive to the fact that he's right over there. Someone might go, he's in the room. You can talk to him directly instead of talking about him. Jesus is present with us. He wants to be talked to, not just about. Despite being our Lord and Savior, which he is, despite being the ruler of the universe, Jesus calls us friends. Do you remember that? There's that moment in the Gospel of John where he turns to the disciples, and that means us, the followers of him. And he says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Following Jesus is like talking to your best friend over a cup of coffee. I hope that you all have somebody, somebody you go to, someone you can talk to, you know what I mean? Somebody who knows you, somebody who's been through stuff with you. And you know what, when you have that kind of person in your life, when you have a cup of coffee or tea, whatever it is, and you get to have a conversation with that person, right? That kind of conversation is so life-giving. That kind of conversation is so meaningful. The kind of conversation where you can share your struggles, the kind of conversation where you can vent your pain, the kind of conversation where you can seek encouragement, where you can ask for perspective and wisdom, the kind of conversation with another person where you don't have to put on anything or hide anything. You're, you're known. They know you. You know them. And so you have this space, right, to just reflect, to process, maybe even to dream. Those kind of conversations, and I hope you have them, but if you've ever had one of them, right, they're amazing. We don't want them to end. They're the kind of conversations, though, that all of a sudden we look at our watch or our phone and we're like, oh my gosh, how the heck did an hour and a half just go by? How did we get to two hours? And those kind of conversations, we don't want them to end, but inevitably the time has come and we have to go our separate ways. The other person has to go. But we just wish, and that's when we feel that we long, oh man, I got to get together with that person because I want to have that kind of, I need that kind of conversation. Who else can I talk to? Beloved. None of those limitations apply to our relationship with Jesus. You don't have to make an appointment to have time with Jesus. Jesus is never going to go, hey, you know, I've really got somewhere else to be in Malaysia right now. So could you hurry up? Jesus is with us, present, and he wants us to talk to him. He wants us to talk to him like our best friend. He wants us to share everything. And here's the thing. Jesus is just like that person, even more so. There's nothing you're going to tell him that he doesn't know. There's nothing about you he doesn't know. You may tell yourself you think you're hiding, you're fooling, you're not. And in that conversation and you letting it all out, being who you are, Jesus wants you at the same time to know him. So I'm going to ask you, when's the last time you had a conversation with Jesus? And I mean a real conversation, because I have conversations with Jesus all the time. But when I say a real conversation, I don't mean a monologue, I mean a dialogue. Imagine you got together with that best friend over coffee, right? And you sat down, they sat down and you go, okay, look, let me tell you, this is what I want from you. This is what I've got to say to you. This is what you need to be doing. And by the way, this is all the stuff that I, I expect you to take care of. That person would drink their coffee so fast and get out of there and never get together with you again. I don't know, my conversations with Jesus tend to be monologues where I'm talking 
to Jesus, but really I'm, it's a, I'm talking about Jesus. When I talk about a dialogue, I mean, when's the last time you really opened up and didn't just give a list of demands, didn't just lay everything out, but the full everything, all of it, and in doing that, listened to what Jesus was saying, how Jesus was speaking. Because a follower of Jesus not only has a conversational relationship with Jesus, a follower of Jesus, another benchmark, looks to Christ to inform his or her choices. For a follower, Jesus sets the framework for our decision-making. He provides wisdom and direction as we engage our lives. Think about it this way. If our relationship with Jesus was meant to be nothing more than the forgiveness of our sins and our salvation from death, which as we've talked about, we often water the gospel down to, but if that's the extent of what our relationship with Jesus was supposed to be, then why the three years of ministry? If, if it's just about forgiveness of sins and salvation from death, why doesn't Jesus just come out of the wilderness, get baptized from, by John the Baptist, and just walk into Jerusalem and go, here I am, this is what I'm saying, nail me on the cross, Jesus dies, a couple of days, raises from the dead, and we're done here. Why the cross? Why not just the cross? Why not just conquer the grave? Why the three years of ministry? Here's why. Because we're told more than once in the scriptures. We're told by the writers of the gospel. We're told by uh, writers of letters like Paul and Peter that Jesus came as the image of God in human form the perfect embodiment of our humanity. Again, something we've talked about. We look at Jesus to see what it truly means to be human. And this is why Jesus spent time offering us extensive, in-depth teaching about the kingdom of God, about practically and tangibly showing us how God created life to be, how we were meant to be in relationship to him and in relationship to each other. Jesus taught and showed all of this to us in order to inform and shape how we engage the life we have before us. In fact, at the conclusion of perhaps his greatest teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus specifically emphasizes the profound importance of hearing and obeying what he is teaching, what he is showing us. Because this is it. As we become more and more like Christ, as Jesus informs more and more of our choices and our actions, the image of God in us is increasingly restored in our lives. And the fancy word for this, all of this, the fancy word really for following Jesus is discipleship. And what is discipleship? Discipleship is about the student learning in order to become like the master. And that means that following Jesus means Jesus should influence and determine the trains of thought we indulge in, the kind of things we say to ourselves and to each other, the choices we make in the midst of our day-to-day -day circumstances. Followers of Jesus seek to become like Christ, to think as he thought, to feel as he felt, to speak as he spoke, to act as he acted, to desire what he desired. At the heart of following Jesus is walking by faith and dependence upon our heavenly father as Jesus did. Not living by reliance on our own limited wit, wisdom, and resources. This means that continually, if we're following Jesus, continually throughout the day, we should be asking Jesus for guidance. Now, I'm not trying to get you all neurotic about this. I'm saying as part of your daily rhythm, regularly ask Jesus things like, Jesus, is this what I should be focusing on right now? Jesus, is this what I should be thinking about right now? 
Jesus, how should I express what I am thinking, what I am feeling, what I am experiencing in this moment? Jesus, how ought I to approach? What should I do, Jesus, about this decision or that decision? When's the last time you asked Jesus those kind of questions? Jesus comes and tells us to follow him to inform the choices that we make, the way we engage others. Do you remember when you were back in school? Do you remember when back at school and you had a teacher every day that you went to? And do you remember when you had a teacher, did you ever find yourself in a situation where you missed an assignment, you got something wrong, or it just was complete, just something, it just went, it was a train wreck. And more often than not when that happened, more, not always, but more often than not, you would go to your teacher and what would your teacher say? Why didn't you ask me for help? And you would be like, oh, well, I thought I understood or I didn't want to bother you. And, no, no, that's why I'm here. Ask me for help. That's why Jesus is here. Jesus is our ultimate teacher. Jesus is, as the scriptures call him, wisdom personified. When's the last time you asked your teacher for help? And when I say help, I don't mean just fix my problem. I mean, many of us have a relationship with Jesus like we often have with our teacher, where instead of asking our teacher for help along the way, we want Jesus to change our grade. Right? Can you just change my grade? Can you just tell me what the answer is? Asking Jesus for help to inform our choices means we invite him in early on and all throughout the process. A follower of Jesus recognizes not only is Jesus the one who informs our decisions, but Jesus is our model for how to interact with others. Following Jesus, in other words, means following his example. In the upper room, you remember this, Jesus not only told us, but in washing his disciples' feet clearly showed us Lovingly serving others is the definitive reflection that we are following in his footsteps. How we engage and treat each other, particularly those whom others ignore, abuse, or marginalize, how we engage and treat others is the acid test of our devotion to Christ, that we are abiding, that we are following Jesus. And this is because a follower of Jesus recognizes Christ in others, in the people he or she encounters every day. Jesus specifically tells us that is where we will find him. When we're looking to follow him, when he goes ahead of us, we will find him. We will encounter Christ as we engage and recognize the people he puts before us. You ever thought about that? Each person, every person you meet is an opportunity to meet Jesus. But even more than that, every person you meet is also an opportunity to follow Christ to follow Christ. What would change in us? What would change through us if we approach, approached every encounter with another person in that way? This is an opportunity where I'm going to meet Christ. This is another opportunity where I can follow Jesus. Think about it this way. Those who were first called Christians, those who first had the label Christian stamped on them, they weren't called Christians just because they believed in something. They weren't called Christians just because they believed in Jesus. Of course, they believed in Christ. But what gave them that moniker, what caught the attention of their neighbors, was how they lived. Forgetting what is behind, letting go of their past, they strained toward what was ahead, the full and abundant and everlasting life that is ours thanks to Jesus. And those followers of Jesus radically loved others in irrational ways. Tirelessly serving others with no hope of gain, sharing their lives, opening up their homes and inviting others to their tables, reaching out and giving anyone who had need. Those first followers of Jesus didn't just talk about Jesus, 
They walked like Jesus. And if you're following Christ, you're not just going to talk about Christ, you're going to walk like Christ. Those first followers of Jesus didn't introduce others to Christ with a lecture. That's not where it first began, where they introduced people to Jesus. They introduced Jesus through the obviousness of Christ being the driving force, the orienting center, the most important relationship through how they lived. And many of us, again, this is back to that separation. You think, we think evangelism is having a prepared script that to lead someone to Christ, we've got to lecture them to death. And my argument to you is, long before you need to come up with anything to say, you are introducing people to Christ through how he is in relationship with you. If you are following Christ, if Jesus is the the, the defining force, the, the epicenter of your existence, if you are talking to him, not just about him, if he is the one that is guiding your decisions, the choices you make, the things you say, the things you think, if he infects how you relate to other people, it is going to be blatantly, undeniably obvious to others that you are in a relationship with someone who predominates your life. You're not going to have to tell them. You're not going to have to slip a Bible on their desk or invite them to church. They're going to notice that there is someone who is front and center in your life. And I guarantee you, long before you have to come up with something to say, somewhere down the road, it may be indirect, it may be direct, it may be subtle, it may be blunt, they are going to ask you. They're going to ask you, and long before you open your mouth and say anything, you are going to have told them a lot about who Jesus is by how you engage him in your life. So I'm asking you, in, that, in this idea of not just believing in Jesus, but following him, where and how are we following Christ? How are we growing in our relationship with Christ? How are we learning from him? The answer to this question that I'm giving you this morning starts with the willingness to be taught, to see every day, every opportunity as, an, as a moment to follow Jesus, take another footstep in his direction. I mean, waking up. When you wake up in the morning, when does Jesus even enter into your mind? Do you actually wake up and say, thank God I'm alive? As I'm getting older, I find myself saying that more often. I imagine it'll continue. And then thank God I'm alive, get personal about it and talk to Christ. One, thing I w- I, one example I would give you this idea of, of where Jesus became front and center in my life in a way he hadn't been before. And it's funny how circumstances work this way. Part of my training for being a pastor, I had to do an internship. And I could have done an internship at any hospital. That was the part of the, uh, the assignment. But I chose, I, had a, I just had a real curiosity and a real passion for Children's Hospital. And I did an internship for nine months at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. I have to tell you, that experience continues to stay with me. There's a part of me that wants to, to offer my time at Children's Hospital here in Orange County, and I just don't ha- have that time, and that's something I'm wrestling with with God. That was, a, that was an experience walking into Children's Hospital where some people are functionally living with their children. That's their home. That's the place where they are, where you're dealing with matters of life and death, uh, not some of the time, but all of the time, where you're dealing with situations where you're trying to have the best possibility for the life that you're... I, I, I can't even fully... In, in, in the time that I have encapsulate that experience. But what happened very, very quickly, very, very quickly, is I became profoundly aware of how I used to take this train ride from where I was to get into downtown where that was, to, to where the, the hospital was. I became profoundly aware one day because it was just overwhelming me. It was challenging me. It was, I was having questions and doubts. I was overwhelmed. And I, I just came to realize, by the grace of God, that I was not following Christ into that hospital. 
that I literally would get on that train and I would get off that train and go into that hospital and I left Jesus behind. And all of a sudden when my perspective shifted and it shifted out of a place of absolute need because I felt out of my depth, I felt like I had reached the wealth of all of my training and theological answers. And all of a sudden, I remember the very first time that I, I, I was dreading, I, I got to a point where I was dreading that train ride and I had to get off the train and walk and I knew the minute I walked in that hospital it was gonna begin, was all of a sudden when I simply said, Jesus, help me. Help me to know what to say. Help me to know what to do. Help me to know what not to say. Help me to know what not to do. I, I, there's so many, and, I, and, and at this point, there were people I, were think, I was thinking about that I was coming back to see, and I just continued to ask. I got so just, my whole conversation with Jesus came into a place of asking very specific questions, sharing very specific things, and then listening to very specific answers. And that was transformative not only for what God was able to do through me in that setting, but also profoundly affected my relationship with Christ. I'm talking to Jesus all the time. I'm talking to Jesus right now as I'm preaching to you. That made, I'm not schizophrenic, but that's how I'm able to do that. I'm talking as I'm speaking. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can have this. You may go, I don't want that. You can have this relationship with Christ. One last thing I'll share in this story is that the other side of that loop, which was also very helpful, I had a mentor going through that whole process to become a pastor, and I had shared that, that, prof- that insight. He had actually prepared me for that, but I had not, was not listening. But when I finally rounded that corner, he gave me some really good advice, and he said, you know, that, that's great in the going in, but what are you doing when you come out? And I, what do you mean? When you come out of that room, when you come out of that conversation, when you finish the day and you get on the train and you go back home, are you, how are, you, are you coming back to that conversation with Jesus? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? It's done. <laughs> He's like, no. Are you coming back and are you saying, if Jesus, and this, we had these great conversations, if Jesus is our teacher, of saying to Jesus, how did I do? How did I do? What, did I, what, did you, what were you trying to teach me? Because in the moment, you're there for them. That's the opportunity afterwards for you to let Jesus teach you about the gifts that he's given you, the way that he's growing you. And there's things you're gonna learn about that. And there's a process that in this experience, internship that I hated, where we had to do what were called verbatims. And verbatims are where you take a certain engagement with a, cl- a patient and you have to literally go word for word for how you engage that situation. I hated that because one, I couldn't always, rem- at first, couldn't always remember everything I said. But also in a verbatim, if you're actually sharing what happened, you want to like edit the stuff that you didn't, you know, like you want to like make it sound like better than it was. And I, and I didn't know how, I always was questioning, how, was I being honest or was I kind of you know, tilting it? But all of a sudden, that idea of following up with Jesus and talking again in the aftermath helped me to approach those verbatims without fear, without, and just being, and it actually, they became helpful to me. And they became helpful to the group that we processed with. That went on a little longer. But my, the point I, I want to say to you is following Jesus begins by just talking to him. Letting him inform what you think, what you say, what you do. If you're a nurse, every time you enter into a patient's room, ask, Jesus, help me, direct me. If you're a teacher, before you walk into that classroom, before you engage that student or talk to that parent, say, Jesus, help me, guide me, and let the conversation go from there. Business people, in whatever line of work you're in, before you that go into that meeting, before you make that phone call, before each decision, stop and say, Jesus, help me. Direct me. Guide me. Are you asking that question? And why not? And when you leave that room, that classroom, that decision, in that phone call, that encounter, 
ask and listen, Jesus, how did that go? What do I need to learn? What are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to grow me? Because as we consistently and prayerfully reflect on the voice of Christ in our life, the life and teaching of Jesus in the scriptures, as we humbly and obediently act as the Spirit leads us, Christ is going to use the needs, the opportunities, the circumstances of our lives as a training ground to help us grow into who we were created to become in him. It's not going to happen perfectly. It's not going to happen immediately. But daily, gradually, following Jesus leads into a newness of life. A life that's marked by that harvest of fruit that we talk about all the time. The fruit of the Spirit. Peace and joy and patience and kindness and gentleness, faithfulness, goodness and self-control. That's why you don't want to just believe in Jesus. That's why we want to follow Christ. Because that's the kind of life that he has for us. That's the kind of relationship he wants with us. I'm going to close with this image. Picture, to just understand this distinction, if you're, if you're caught in the middle of it, of believing in Jesus and following Jesus. Picture a, picture a flowing river right now. I want you to picture a flowing river. And as you're picturing that flowing river in your mind, imagine that we can walk around the edge of that river. We can look at the river. We can see in doing so that it's a real river, right? It's got real water. We can see all of that. That's believing in the river. But when you jump into the river, when you ease into the river, you get into the water. You're covered and surrounded by the water. You're no longer just looking at the river. You're no longer just thinking about how pleasant the water seems. You're in the water. You're experiencing the water. You're being affected by the current of the river. You're letting it change how you move. And in that moment, you either float, you swim, or you sink. We're called to more than just believing in Christ. We're called to entering into the river of relationship that is Jesus Christ, to follow him, to let the current of the Holy Spirit change how we're moving. So many of us right now are on the the sidelines. So many of us are looking at Jesus, talking about Jesus. But what if you jumped in? What if you jumped into the river of relationship that Jesus is offering you? How? What if you just let go and let the, the current of the Spirit take you? How would you grow? What would you learn? Who would you become? Through these letters from Paul and others like them, through these snapshots into his and other writers' relationship with Christ, we are reminded there can be no separation between believing in Jesus and following Jesus. Following should come after believing as sure as night follows the day. Because Christianity, you see, is not a choose-your-own-adventure story in which we get to define the terms of our relationship with God. Our relationship with Jesus is intended to be more than a Sunday event. If we believe in Jesus as our Savior, then we've got to follow Jesus as our Lord. And following Jesus means having a conversational relationship with him. It means looking to him to inform our choices and shape our actions. Because this life that Jesus invites us into, his life, it will revolutionize ours and it will transform our engagement with the world around us. And in this way, when we're following Jesus, following Christ, it also becomes a glimpse as well as an invitation for others to know Christ and follow him too. Amen.